Well, welcome to the Grace Project radio station. I'm so pleased that you're back with us, and I'm so pleased to still be here in Louisville. Uh, normally I'm recording from London, but it's so exciting to be here in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm with my dear, dear friend. And uh, yesterday you met one of my spiritual mums. Today you're going to meet another one, which is my friend Dee Dee Winter. Dee Dee, I'm so glad you were able to be with us, or perhaps more to the point, I'm so glad I'm able to be with you here in Louisville. Are you excited about the weekend that's ahead of us? Very much so, Paul. Always, always anticipatory about what's, what God's going to bring here at our weekends, but I don't know, this seemed to be kind of a special year to me. I was telling Linda the other day that there's so, a new excitement in me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. That is so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Dini, I want to talk to you if I can about, you You have been such an inspiration to me. I mean, I cannot even begin to, the, the, the debt of love I owe you is unpayable. Um, and, and, and the encouragement, the inspiration, and just the love, and it's just been astonishing. And I was so anxious for uh, the Grace Project folk to just know you and to get to, 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 to know why I love you so much and just hear your heart and listen to what the Lord's show, shown you. Um, and so I wanted to do this show to just, just to, to chat some things through with you. I remember when we first met, I guess you probably remember too. I do, Paul. It was a very interesting thing. For those of you who don't know the story, um, I had been uh, ministering in London, and a friend of mine, um, a gentleman by the name of John Mills, who is a, a delightful man from WEC, he um, came to see me after the service, and he said, you know what, he said, listening to you, he said, I just thought I was listening to Norman Grubb. And he said, did you know Norman? I said, I don't know who Norman Grubb is. He said, you don't know who he is? He said, are you crazy? You just sound exactly the same as him. So I thought, well, I better find out who this Norman Grubb character is. So I, I got on the internet and I found Dee Dee's ministry and I emailed to, to Dee Dee and told her the story. And she said, why don't you come visit me? <laughs> In Texas. <laughs> In Texas, that's right. <laughs> and so as it happened, um, Haley and I were traveling. We were due to be in Houston. And um, I said to Haley, Haley, I've met this lady on the internet. Can we go stay with her, please? <laughs> she said, okay. So it was like just something we'd never, ever contemplated doing in our lives. And we arrived in Arlington. We drove, remember we drove from Houston. We arrived up in Arlington and met Dee Dee and Gary and Kim. And well, I'll just tell you something. A love affair with the Winter family just began that first second we met. And we stayed in your beautiful home there in Arlington. And we just... We would just enjoy Jesus together, didn't we, for those few days. We and did. It was just great. But Didi, tell us, please, if you will, a, a little bit about your story. I know you have some uh, a, an amazing story of how you've moved into oneness with Christ. Mm-hmm. And you didn't wake up one morning and were a oneness person. You came through the brokenness journey, the dying to self, which uh, I know for you there are some very important uh, trigger verses, and I kind of was thinking perhaps we could talk about one of those verses as a springboard that's brought you into freedom. And I'm thinking of the verse in Romans six about the, the you know that dying with Christ. Just tell tell the people a little about your your journey, your experience, and, and, and what you now see and what you're now living in. Well, Paul, I was raised Catholic, and there was never a time that I didn't know who Jesus was and what He did and why He did it and that He did it for me. So I didn't have a real uh, salvation experience like people know but when I was um, 30 years old or no it must have been about 27 um, I found myself I had been married for a number of years then and had my had a good marriage and a good family and uh, success on many levels and found myself very empty and not even really fully realizing it but God was God was preparing me but the real crush and crash hit when my brother, my, my younger brother, uh, got cancer. And um, 
I was without any resources within myself to deal with that. And in the he was he had cancer for three years before the Lord took him. But in the middle of that, I really saw God raise him off his deathbed. Mm-hmm. And I started to look for this God that I had known in history. I used to read the lives of the saints as a little Catholic kid and hear about them and just be so thrilled. But that was a God that was a thousand years ago. And what had, what had happened to him today? You know, where was he today other than somebody that I was going to deal with after I died? So I uh, discovered the Lord uh, then through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And very quickly, the Lord moved me out of the Catholic Church um, into a non-denominational, charismatic, inner healing and deliverance ministry. And trained me well for six years in that and it, it was a it was a wonderful place for me because uh, in, in I don't know if you all know about inner healing but inner healing is where you look at your past and you have the healing of the memories and all your hurts and your the failures of your parents which we all fail our children but uh, and and uh, talk about it kind of like counseling like Christian counseling and you it, it, you're prayed for and everything and, and it was like God began to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. <laughs> and uh, then and the deliverance part of it was that anything we felt like were, that the uh, pastor felt like was a hindrance, then they would, you know, cast out the demon of uh, whatever, you know. And so there was a real, a real time and place for that in my life. And I, what I call it my tap dancing for God triple time years mm-hmm. because as hard as I had pursued... Um, life in the secular world before I knew the Lord I pursued him in the Christian world with some sort of Bible study or prayer group or church service or what I was involved six days a week in some sort of Christian activity alright let me just stop you there for one second I've been to your home so I understand something about the Arlington social scene it's a bit Uh for those of you who who have no idea where where Dee Dee lives she lives in Wisteria Lane I mean she's like (laughs) But this, and maybe you were a desperate housewife at those days. I don't know. Absolutely. But she, this lady lives in Wisteria Lane. I mean, she had the whole nine yards, Wisteria Lane. So what you're telling me is that at one stage you were, and, and correct me if I've heard you wrong, but at one stage you were a career socialite. Absolutely. And now, then you became a career Christian. Yes. And yes. in both of those things, in both of those modes of your life, um, it was about you. It was. All right. Totally. Okay. Totally about me. And about really finding a place, a way to fill the God-created vacuum mm-hmm. that he has in each one of us. Mm-hmm. And because we're external people, we were born seeing um, truth, seeing reality as something that we can touch and feel and grab on, grab a hold of. That's where we pursue. We pursue, you know, trying to fill that void in a marriage or in a uh, drugs or in possessions or in in position or in a career or anything like that, and uh, that satisfies us for a time. But then it fails us because God is a jealous God, and He will have no other. I mean, He created that in order for Him to fill it, mm. and He always takes us. The Holy Spirit always is pulling us toward that, toward that fulfillment in our lives. That's amazing, and so you so you have this journey that begins. In, in 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 the in the very uh, in, in Catholicism as you mm-hmm. say, and what you knew at that time is mm-hmm. you knew something about the God who was, mm-hmm. and you knew something about the God who will be. Exactly. But what you hadn't experienced at that stage is the God who is. The God who is. All I knew was an empty ritual, 
and a life of sin and confess, sin and confess, and trying harder and trying to uh, be good and and be better and just that whole mm-hmm. uh, what's the rat the, the hamster wheel the, the hamster wheel really yes yeah, absolutely. yes 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 of living now when did you discover the God who is the God who is came at the six years after my first knowing of the Lord through the baptism I sat at the end of my fourth year of Bible study fellowship and they'd been talking about true salvation and it sparked in me something just I just sat there one day and I said Lord I don't even know if I have salvation or not but if this isn't it you're going to have to show me what is and I realized that I was in a really desperate place then but I really didn't realize it until those words came out of me that just that thought to him and then I really probably promptly forgot it and went on about six weeks later a friend of mine called who had she'd been up in the east and she and I had been walking the Lord together this whole time and she called one night and she said hello and I said what has happened to you and she started laughing I mean the only thing she had said to me was hello and she said well God has made some scriptures revelation to me I'd never heard that word before in my mm-hmm. life and I said well tell me what they are because I knew that I, if, I, if she would tell them to me I could mentally grasp them and so she repeated Romans 6 that I was dead buried and resurrected in Christ with no explanation at all and in a nanosecond the spirit just blew my mind and I knew now remember I was had been in in an inner healing ministry and I knew that a dead man did not need to be healed Mm -hmm. and couldn't be healed it was it was it was ridiculous the next scripture she gave was in Ephesians 2 that we sit at the right hand of the father in Christ and again in a nanosecond in a flash I knew that Satan was not at the right hand of the Father, and I never had to fear or fight the devil again. I knew God only from that point. I didn't know those words, but that's what I knew was God only. And the third scripture was in Psalms, Delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And we'd been taught that uh, our hearts were wicked, and that if it was something that we wanted to do, that we better do the opposite of that, because the opposite would be God's way. And I saw that my want-tos were his want-tos. He had placed them there, and he would fulfill them. And the New Testament uh, correlation to that is to will and to want of his good pleasure. That's very important, isn't it? Because that that verse that you you quote, so many Christians can quote you Philippians 2, and they say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then they stop right there. For it is God. (laughs) Who is at work within you. Both to, to will, will and, to, and do. to do. That's absolutely good, not right. Will and, want, yeah. and so you have this nice idea there that, that that's intriguing. When you were talking earlier on, I was thinking to myself, so basically what you're saying is that the mantra of the Christianity that you'd understood hitherto was, if it feels good, stop it. Exactly. Because it's obviously got to be exactly. sin. Exactly. But, but what you learned in those days was, in those formative days, what you were learning was, on the contrary, that when the Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart, mm-hmm. what it means is you have those those desires because he gave them to you. It, because it's him. Because it's him. <laughs> because it's, it's, his him. it's his because want to. It's, it's his life. Because it's exactly. him. What does it mean, Diddy, when we take a verse um, like Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified mm-hmm. with Christ, thinking about your reference to Romans 6, mm-hmm. it's no longer I that live. Mm-hmm. What, 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 do we, what does that mean? It means that you have no independent life apart from him. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, here we are. There's Paul sitting in the chair talking. 
here I am sitting here talking to you. I'm clothed. I'm, you know, have my makeup on. So I'm living. There, I'm living. I'm living. Yet not I. So again, now here the scripture contradicts itself. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. So here I am, but it's really Christ. It's really Christ. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And not even my faith. It's not my life. It's not my love. God is love. He doesn't give love to us. He is love in us. He um, is absolutely. everything in us. Everything in us. What kind of... And, and I can sit here and I can be very comfortable and I can just you know, amen to that because it's something that... I think what I've understood, Dee Dee, is that um, in my child phase as a Christian, I think that the, the thing that I attribute to the childish phase of Christianity is belief. And as a child, I'm a believer. You tell me something and I put my confidence in it. I believe you. Uh, like the little children just mm -hmm. come to Jesus and they mm -hmm. just trust him. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in my teenage phase, then I saw that in my teenage phase, what was happening for, to me was that my belief was being mingled with some doubt. And the doubt I was concerned about at first, but I realized actually it was a trigger for God to take me something deeper. But... In the father phase, which um, I, I'm vain enough to think that perhaps I'm just about to enter into, but there's many that say that probably not, but in the father phase, what I understood is this, is that we're no longer believers, now we're knowers. And there's a difference between believing and knowing. There's mm -hmm. just knowing, right. it is what it is. Right. But what was for you, was, was there a crisis moment that, that precipitated that move from you being able to just sit here soberly, rationally, and as matter-of-factly as you can ever imagine, and just say to me, it's no longer I that lives, it's Christ that lives mm -hmm. within me. Mm -hmm. Because I have to tell you that for many people that would, would be thoroughgoing, card-carrying, evangelical, God, the heaven-bound Christians, they would be saying to, mm -hmm. to you, but Dini, surely you mean for me to live is to live like Christ. Mm -hmm. And you're saying no, for you to live is Christ. Is Christ. What, what, is the tr what, what was the crisis trigger, if there was one, that carries well, you across that threshold? absolutely there were. There were two things, Paul, and it was over a period of several years because as much as God gave me in those three scriptures, and it was the, the total of the gospel, I said to my friend, I said, I'll tell you what, if this is true, and I know it is, it's got to go from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse in Revelation. This mm. is the gospel. Mm. It's not a piece in the part. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had the basis in those three scriptures that I was dead, that there was God only, that was the only, there was only one power in the universe that I was reckoning with, and that um, everything about me had been made right. Now, I could say that in looking at Jesus in me, that everything about me had been made right, but I still didn't know that about my humanity. And that was the, the thing that took me to where you're at, to where you're you're wanting to know, go, uh, and that came through. And I said, you know, a minute ago, that we know that everything is Him. It's His faith. It's His love. It's His long suffering. It's His kindness. It's it's Him. It's His life, and we love the fruits of the Spirit. But there's another side of us that we don't like, and we don't understand, and we fear it, and we call it sin. When a natural, spontaneous a negative reaction comes out of us or something that we've, we've not um, seen as um, Christ. And that was something that I had to learn and it came one day through um, a friendship that I'd had that um, I loved and valued dearly and all of a sudden one day I was just filled 
with jealousy toward this friend, longtime close friend. And I just, I did, I knew nothing else to say except I just grabbed onto the kitchen counter and I said, I'm not jealous of her. I'm Christ in my form. Because to me, Christ could not be that. And the Lord's God said back to me, as strongly as I've ever heard anything, you're not jealous of her. You're jealous for her. It's my jealousy in you mm. that she would know me like you do. And that absolutely, all I could do was agree with God. Well, that, that will happen. That will be. But it sent me reeling to think, God, this thing about me that feels so nasty is really God. It's his jealousy in me toward her. It's his life in me. And then I started looking and I thought, I realized that everything about our souls has been made right because we have, we're under the, they're under a new user. Mm. They're no longer used by the prince of the power of the air, by the spirit of error. That all went out when we were born again of the Holy Spirit, of the spirit of the living God, when we took Jesus Christ. So now a new one is here using our bodies, living through, for me to live is Christ living in my body and in my soul. And you know, there's a wonderful scripture in Matthew 16 where it says, what does it profit a man to forfeit a soul and gain the whole world? And that is where Christianity and the secular world really wants to just be, be in this flat line. They like being happy, but don't go any place below that because it's a very uh, fearful place and it's, a, it's an ugly place. And we don't like to, you know, we're taught from little children to be nice and don't be ugly. Mm. And yet, uh, that scripture starts out in Matthew. It says, uh, if any man would follow me, let him take up his cross. Um, in order to, uh, you must lose your life to find it. And then what does it profit a man to forfeit his soul? And that losing your life, to, I used to think the, the emphasis was on lose and life, but it's really not. It's on your. <laughs> That's Your. Good. And it's that's the, good. any idea that you have an independent or separate life, and it's really, that's really Romans 7, mm. that you have an independent or separate life apart from Christ, because that is what has got to, that's the only death to self, is that, that, um, that, that mindset has got to be done away with. And that is what the Spirit is so faithful to do. You see, that, that's intriguing, isn't it? Because, when you, the great problem it seems to me when I deal with people within the contemporary, the modern Christian world is that it seems to me really that there is a, I, I've referred to it in, in my book The Bonsai Conspiracy, I talk about a false self syndrome and there's this obsession with the with pseudo-independence and yet you come up a, like a, against a verse for example in Romans 6 where Paul seems to be saying to us that you, you, you're not your own you were bought with a price. You, in fact, you were never your own. You were a slave to unrighteousness, mm -hmm. and now you're a slave to righteousness. Amen. You were an instrument of uh, of the enemy, and now you're instrument an instrument of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's just the top and bottom of it. And yet, we have this idea that somehow we ha we get we get to call the shots. We get to make the plays. We're the great quarterback in the whole plan of salvation. Or make the mistakes. Or I have said, or make the mistakes. Yeah. And, and but what you're telling me is that's not it. That's, that's not, not it. it. So, so what do you say to somebody that says to, to you, okay, well, well, why bother? Why do I have to do anything? Why do I have to? You know, what, what's, what, what's my point? What can I do? Well, what, what, do you, what do you say to that? Uh, well, I say, what did Jesus say to his disciples when they said, 
what do we do to, the, to do the mm. works of God? Believe. And he says believe. Only believe. Believe. That's be the enough only for you. thing. Yes, <laughs> That'll believe. Be enough for you. And I'll tell you what, it is enough, Paul, because for you to have to believe that something that you have thought was sin in your life is not. Some spontaneous... I have friends that have tempers. They're noted for their tempers. They God created them with a temper. And yet, it's meant to be in right use now. It's meant to be in right use because, you know, it says, God says, be angry and sin not. Mm. I started looking through the scriptures and I, and I found that God says he's a jealous God. Uh, he hates. He's angry. And he calls it sin not. And so everything, we, we put the sweet things to the life of Christ. But can we put, I mean, Jesus, who was Jesus? I mean, he tore the temp, threw the people out of the temples. He was a radical man, just a radical man. And we've got such a false idol and a false image of who he was. And therefore, um, a false image of ourselves and who we ought to be. Very interesting. That's very interesting. You, you said earlier, Dee Dee, that if, if, this, if these three scriptures were, to, were, were the truth, uh-huh. which you believe that they were, that it would have to make sense from back to front and from front to back. So you'd have to be able to open the book in Genesis and you'd be able to have to work your way right through to the book of Revelation and you'd have to see that these things were so. Right. We talked a little bit last night, I was asking a question last night mm-hmm. around, the, the, around the dinner table about just this issue of, of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I know that you were, there was something sparked inside of you about that. Um, Talk to me a bit about about what you about what you see there at the back end of the book. Well, I started out um, before my little brother got cancer. He gave me a, a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, and it's the is that the Hal Lindsey? Yes, Hal Lindsey, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. the same thing that the all the whole Left Behind series now that's so popular. That but really, it's it's uh, the Christian looking for an external Christ to be back in Jerusalem, you know, and be what he was. Uh, and somehow, I mean, that scared me to death then, but somehow it just didn't ring true. And so then I came uh, some years later and um, got a set of tapes by Malcolm Smith, and he started with a new train of thought for me, that it's a present tense reality. And so and I've long lost the tapes, and I don't even remember really what Malcolm said, other than the fact that something sparked in me that, that there was truth in that. So, um, if you really look at Revelation, I think it's the story of the Christian life. It's the story of growing from children to young men to fathers. Mm. It's the story of birth. It's the story of the finality in the marriage supper of the Lamb in our being one and in union with Christ. And um, in the beginning, it starts out, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is shortly to come, and then the seven churches are, if you look at those and really understand those, they are the stages of Christian growth. And it's a beautiful description really of the stages of Christian growth. And Armageddon, I believe, is the last battle of losing your life and independent life to find it. That's fantastic. Uh-huh. It's, it's, a, it's that an amazing fantastic. book. And I'm thrilled if you're going to look into it. Well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try That's one of those books. I mean, it, it strikes me. If any book says that you'll be, a ble- you'll be blessed if you actually get through reading this, it must be one heck of a book. Well, it is because you finally understand the truth about yourself. Mm. The truth for which Christ Jesus died, not that we were going to see him in the great by and by or that we would be down here less sinners and trying to struggle and live the Christian life. 
But it's the fact that he is living our life. I mean, what more of a blessing can you have? Yeah. I remember the next morning right after I had at the night after the next morning after God had given me those three scriptures and that was back in 1980 and um, I remember the next day waking up and just being overwhelmed because trying and trying to sort out and one thing that we'd always wanted to be was how do you be humble how do you be humble and I thought my God the humility is knowing that I'm dead and he's alive mm-hmm. that is the greatest humility and worship I mean not something that you go and you raise your hands and you sing a few songs and you say praise the Lord, but the true worship is to know that He is the all and you are the container of the all. And then prayer. You know, I thought about because it was always like pray without ceasing. Now, how do I pray enough? And, you know, we were taught that it was praying without ceasing was praying in tongues and yet you didn't do that all the time. And then, But to be one with, what is prayer but communi- communion mm. and communicating mm. with God? Mm. And if you're one, I mean, you're washing the dishes is prayer. Your thought is prayer. Your verbal talking to Him is prayer. But it's not just limited to that, to those things. It's, it's doing this interview is prayer. It's just lifting life to Him. It's being the, it's being the presence, isn't it? It's ministering the presence. Absolutely. And, and wherever, wherever we are. We we are the presence of we are the we presence are. of Christ. We, we were talking at breakfast with with a couple of the girls as well, weren't we, about the idea of just uh, I was talking about in my corporate life. You, you're the corporate Christ, aren't you? You move into a situation, and there you are. You're just Jesus in the mix, and I know. right in the middle of it. He all. needs you there. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And I, I really, I really see. And that do you story. know what? Do you know what? Uh, do you, there was a. Uh, wonderful movie called The Apostle. Yes, I remember. Robert Duvall. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And I think that was kind of coupled with, I've realized, and you talked about the fatherhood level, because the fatherhood level is really the one who has known him from the beginning, and known, you know, means to be knit together with. It's oneness. It's, it's oneness, oneness yeah. yes. And what what is God's nature, though? God's nature is to lay his life down and take it up again. Mm-hmm. So the, moving into the fatherhood living, level is really moving into an intercessory life. It's not that I just know him now and it's for me. It's that I know him so that I can die and rise for my world. Yeah. And in, in that movie, it's so brilliant because what looks so wrong to the normal Christian is that what happens is Robert Duvall strikes out and kills a man and he ends up later in the movie on a chain gang chopping uh, rocks on the side of the road but do you know what I saw here he is leading these prisoners in um, Jesus about Jesus he's leading them in these chants about Jesus and I thought you know Jesus you intended to be to those prisoners in that man now look where you had to take him to get him there but that doesn't matter because you've paid for sin. You've paid for all sin. You're not looking at that anymore. All you're looking at is sharing your life and sharing your life among the sinners. There's a wonderful scripture that says we have to go, Paul writes, that we go into the prisons where the prisoners are. And he had to go, not in a physical prison, but to those people in, in that chain gang and be what they were. And the thing about Mother Teresa recently is just such a beautiful picture of that, that she... You know, we've seen in the news now that she lost her total uh, consciousness of God. But it was after God told her to go and be to the uh, poor people in, in India that she had to go and be their consciousness, which was nothing. They knew nothing of him. 
And yet, look what she gave the world. She totally gave them, oh, you're Jesus. I see Jesus in you. Mm. And shocked the Christian world, shocked the secular world, because how many how many people could do that? You know, Absolutely. it's just beautiful. So wherever God, and God needs you in the corporate world. He's given you a brilliant mind and trained you well in your past, in your business success, so that he, you can be one of them now. And is, I think that's the thing, Dina, that I find really interesting because, you know, we have a lot of folk that, that certainly that have come through the charismatic world that have given up everything, you know, in terms of, you know, they, they burn their records, they turn their back on their careers. And, and, and yet what breaks your heart is you know that God, as we talked earlier on about the desires that are in our hearts, God, right. God put them there. And I think about cases, you know, I think about... You can't find a more corporate man than Daniel. Daniel was was brought into the king's uh-huh. palace, and the Bible says of him, his advice was ten times better than anybody else's. And he was in the court of the king. Mm-hmm. Now, this thing to me, it seems like what I want to see is I want to see I want to see Christ as me in the corporate environment. Mm-hmm. I want to see. I, I know you're involved. I don't know whether we can talk about this, but I know that you're involved in the presidential prayer breakfast. Well, for me, I, I want to know that Jesus is in those prayer breakfasts, don't you? Well, he is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? What, what, how did you get come to be involved in that? Well, not really involved. I've been to a couple of them, and uh, they're just they're phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Because, you know, their, their point of view is that every person knows Jesus from some point of view. Mm. Now, they give the gospel, but they embrace everyone else from every religion and you will see Jew and Gentile and Muslim and Hindu and uh, whatever there being given Jesus but they say everybody knows him because they either know him as a as their Lord and Savior as a prophet as a good man as someone that they don't believe ever existed but they know the name of Jesus amazing now, let me, let me come back to something else I wanted to ask you about. We, one thing we haven't talked about yet is your association with Norman and Norman Graham right. and, and his work. Now, of course, you're the compiler, are you not, of, of, of three books that are, that are, that are uh, Norman's letters. Letters, right. And, uh, tell us a little bit about that part of your life. Well, I, uh, after God gave me those three scriptures, I started find, trying to find a church in my area, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, mm-hmm. that uh, knew what I call then freedom from the law. And every place I would go, I would something very bizarre would happen. And I would say, okay, Lord, not here. I'll look the next place. Well, about a year, I, and I came to a place after about 10 months that I really had no place else to look. And we'd gotten a copy of the Union Life magazine. Uh, and there was a Women's Week advertised in it in Hickston, Wisconsin. So it was a year and a half after my initial new seeing that I went up to Hickston to see if these people were possibly talking what what God had given me, you know, and that was where I met Norman. And funnily enough, um, I noticed, I began to get, I didn't realize the scope of the man, um, but I began to kind of understand that he was, uh, had quite a reputation in the Christian world and he was, uh, had, was just an important person on the level of Billy Graham. But, at the same time, he was just in, in and among the people. I mean, he was he was 85 by then, and he was going through the line getting his own food, and people were in his room all the time talking to him. He was all, always available. And I didn't because I was shy, and I think the only thing I spoke to him was uh, in the lunch line one day. I said, well, I've enjoyed your talks. And he said, well, thank you, my dear, and that was it. But 
As I drove off from there, I said to someone, I said, I would love to get in a car and ride around and hear his African stories. You know, that was the only thing I knew to, to say. And you know that I really saw about a year and a half later that that was the spirit in me speaking what was going to happen. Now, it looked like me, it sounded like me, but he came to visit me about a year and a half later. And uh, there were two women driving him, and I said, well, my Lord, this is what I said I wanted to do. And the next year, I was the one that was driving him, and we became very close friends. And I feel very, very privileged uh, the last 13 years of his life to have known him and uh, worked closely with him and been a... Um, just a very close friend in, in his home many times and him in my home and after he died well before he died I said Norman I said I want to do a book of your letters and he kind of looked at me like uh, yeah like he thought it was funny but anyway it, it turned out that after he died I sent out 500 letters all over the world from his Rolodex and our uh, lists and um, uh, asked people for their letters and uh, we got enough to do three volumes and uh, one volume of letters that is the Cambridge University Missionary Band letters that it was a group of men from Cambridge that he had been in college with and he had had, had a prayer group there and out of that prayer group there were these were the men that were called to be the called to be missionaries. This is the InterVarsity prayer group that came up out of that, wasn't it? Well, and InterVarsity uh, Fellowship, uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship was a uh, group of, he thought if this is good for Trinity College at Cambridge, then it would be good, our little prayer group, it would be good for universities all over. And that's how, that was his vision for Amazing. IVF. Now he didn't develop it, but it was his vision. Mm -hmm. And he was involved in WEC, is that not right? He was uh, the son-in-law of C.T. Studd. After he went to college, he went to, he was called to Africa and, under C.T. Studd. And CT had had the vision for WEC, but he did not get, he was uh, in um, Africa for 10 years before he died and left Norman and Pauline to develop WEC, Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, yes. Interestingly enough, Norman is probably best known in England, uh, not for his own work, which of course is, is an irony, but he's probably best known for his uh, biographies, particularly um, CT studs, and probably the most famous would be uh, Reese Howells. Reese Howells. Uh -huh. That's right. And he and Reese Howells were great friends, weren't they? Very good friends. And Very you know, Nor Norman went to Africa, and he, after he got there, he had given up everything. He had really not completed his college. God had called him, uh, I think, a semester before he got his degree, and um, had given up everything, gotten over there, and found out that he could not love the African people. And he was just killed because he knew God had called him there, and yet he just could not love them. And it was God's setup because as Norman cried out to him, God gave him Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. And he, he said that he and Pauline sat out there on their camp stools that night and both drew little tombstones and put their names on it that they had died. And he mm -hmm. said Pauline got the witness uh, immediately, but it took him two years. And in that two years time, he went back home on furlough and that was where he met Reese Howells went and he was in a really a breakdown within himself and God had taken his presence away from him really much like Mother Teresa and he didn't even know if he believed in God and here he was preaching Jesus and had definitely had a salvation you know a knowing of Jesus years before and yet God had something more for him to learn he had something he 
and, and as he walked the hills of Swansea with Reese Howes there at the Swansea Bible College, uh, Reese took him back to the real truth about himself, and it was that it was Christ living. Mm, that is mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. That is wonderful. And maybe that's the point, isn't it? That we have to take, be, be continually taken back to that place where we realize that it's Christ living. Yes. One of the, the problems of the, I, I too was raised in the Catholic Church and educated by Jesuits and, and raised by convent nuns. And one of the things that I'll always remember is that we would always be taken back to the cross. And the thing that would happen is that you would be taken back to a cross and Jesus was hang, still hanging on it. But the truth is that, that we're talking about taking ourselves back not to a cross with Jesus hanging on it, but to an empty cross, an empty tomb, an ascended Savior with yes. Jesus now living in us. And right. that, that's our message, isn't it? It that is. Really is. It is. Message. And the cross is operative in us now because remember, yes, it's it his very nature to lay his life down and take it up again. Mm. And you said that, that, I thought that was really interesting that you touched on that when you talked about intercession. And for me, that is really the, the business end of the gospel, whereby we, we see in this panorama of grace that we begin out by a recognition that Christ laid down his life for me. Mm-hmm. And we go through the various iterations and the many dyings and the sufferings and the being delivered from self, if you will. Uh, and we come to that final place where we move from Jesus laying down his life for me to me laying down my life for others mm-hmm. in him. And that's that's the, the completion, isn't it? Of, of it is. Happens. And you know, Paul, we really can't get to that point until we're settled about ourselves. You know, it's Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And as long as we hate ourselves, hate our expression, our humanity, our we're fearful of our souls, we think we're sinners, then we really have not come to fully embrace ourselves and love love the self that he created and he called it fearfully and wonderfully made mm. and that he has trained us up through all of our life, all of our history to be exactly the person we are that he's going to live through now, that he will live through. Absolutely. And, uh, but as, as long as we're still not settled about our humanity, about our personhood, about our self, whatever we want to call it, our body and our soul, really, then we still are are still introspective and questioning, and we really can't be fully out there about our world and about then taking on your pain and redeeming it for Absolutely. you. Dini, just in the final few minutes of the show, I know that we have a lot of people that listen to uh, the Tune Into the Grace Project website that are from the United States of America. Uh, I'd be really interested to hear from you about if you could tell us anything about whether, whether you meet, whether you do Bible studies anywhere, whether there are groups, are there folk in the U.S. that, that, that folk here can connect with? What was well, how, it, how do people get in touch with you? What's the deal? Well, absolutely. You can get in touch with me. Really, uh, I host the website, normangrub.com. Mm-hmm. And um, we have in Arlington, Texas, between Dallas and Fort Worth, uh, we have a lively, lively group of mature knowers. Uh, of Christ is their life uh, every Saturday morning at 9.30. That's that wonderful Bible study that meets yes. in your house, right? Yes, in I've my had house the privilege at of speaking yes, it. It's yes, wonderful. Yes. And just there are uh, groups of people all over the United States that we could put people in touch with. So they would, if they would just get in touch with me, my uh, email address is d.winter at tx.com. 
www.rr.com, and that's on the website also. Fantastic. Didi, I want to thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time out because I know you've got plenty of things to do to organize the, the retreat for this weekend. And uh, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be here. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that folk have had an opportunity just to hear your heart. And please do get on, on Didi's website. Have a look at that. And, uh, and really, if you have the opportunity, if you're here in America, then get in touch, be involved, and uh, understand that it is Christ that is our life. Thank you so much for listening to us on Grace Project Radio. Great to have you with us. We'll do it again sometime soon. God bless you.